Pittsburgh Steelers fans, it is the show. Whether the Steelers are 0 and 16 or 16 and 0, we are here regardless, and we are supporting our black and gold. It feels like that intro music should have actually been more of a dirge because that's the way I am feeling in my head right now. My name is Brian Anthony Davis from the Steel Curtain Network, courtesy of Fans First Sports Network. If you love talking Steelers, whether it's good or whether it's bad, we've got it. 20-some, almost 25 original shows every single week. Good to go. That's what we've got here. And I can't do any of these shows without the guy I just call the clinic. His name is K.T. Smith, Kevin Thatcher Smith. He is my co-host on this show. In fact, he's the host. I'm his co-host. Kevin Smith, what's going on? Brian, a dirge. I like that word. That's a good, it's a very well, a good descriptive word and probably appropriate for the moment. So sadly enough, uh, I think you're you're right on there. And it's uh there's a lot to talk about in this show. There's an awful lot to dissect. I mean, there's things that obviously are, are going to be tough for Steeler fans to hear. Their frustrations are obvious and des- well deserved, but there's a lot to unpack. So I'm looking forward to talking through it with you. I am as well, and let's get straight to it. The Pittsburgh Steelers lose to the Indianapolis Colts in another winnable game. Before I say anything else, I want to ask you, Kevin, am I correct to say the last three games, actually, I'll go back to the last five games, starting with Cleveland, Cincinnati, which was a win, and the last three, Arizona, New England, and now Indy, they were all winnable team, winnable games for this Pittsburgh Steelers team, correct? Oh, yeah, man. Every one of those games has been against a mediocre to bad team, quarterbacked by a backup quarterback or, in Arizona's case, uh, a rusty starter coming off of injury. So when, when those are the, the circumstances that you face, you expect – more success than than what the Steelers have been able to muster. They've lost four out of their last five, uh, and and when, when I think if you if you go back five or six weeks, it would have been easy to project them winning four out of these five instead of losing four out of five. Yeah, you know they actually should have won all five of these football games, but here we are at seven and seven, looking at possibly Mike Tomlin's first losing season as a Pittsburgh Steeler head coach or as a head coach in the National Football League. And I don't care about that. Nobody cares about that. They care about this team being good to go. And this team, Kevin, is not good to go. In fact, dare we say this team's at rock bottom right now. Honestly, I'm trying – I was thinking about this before the show, and, and I'm try, I try not to be uh, overly dramatic or to say things for the shock value of them because people don't want to hear that, right? I just try to be honest with where I see things. And in the Mike Tomlin era, I don't know if it's been worse than this because while the Steelers did have a few years there where they weren't great, you had, you know, if you think back to, to uh, the year, I can't remember what year it was exactly, but the year that they were five and eight after 13 games, they had to rally to win their last three just to finish at 500 there have been times in the Tomlin era where you thought this team isn't great, but you always had Ben Roethlisberger at quarterback and you always had a talented enough roster that you felt as though the future was bright, even if the moment was dark. But right now 
with all the uncertainty that surrounds the Steelers, both on the roster and within the coaching staff, the moment's dark, but it feels as though it's hard to see the future as, as bright. It, and, and that may just be, that, again, that just may be the, a clouded perspective because of the way the last month has gone. But this may be, I mean, and again, not trying to, to you know, throw out hyperbole or anything like that, but it may be the lowest moment in the Tomlin era. Kevin, let me ask you, and this is a bold question, how badly does this team miss Kenny Pickett? Well, that's an interesting question. I think it's a really hard one to answer. Obviously, what you've gotten from Mitch Trubisky the last couple of weeks is, is pretty much what you expected to get. I don't think anybody thought he would come in and suddenly look like anybody other than who he's been for the majority of his NFL career. But my the deeper question for me is how much of the product on the field, especially at the quarterback position, is a product of poor quarterback play versus co- uh, coaches who are just overmatched at the NFL level. Uh, yeah, I really, I said this on the show last week and I, I will repeat this ad nauseum. I have incredible respect as a fellow coach for any coach who makes it to the NFL. They are, they are some of the best in the world at what they do. But when you're coaching in the NFL, you're coaching uh, among the elite of the elite. And if, and, and if you yourself are not in that category, you, you may be fantastic at what you do. But there's a separation point when you get to the top 1%. And I just don't know if the Steelers are able to compete from a coaching standpoint on the offensive side of the ball with some of the uh, opponents that they're up against. And, And so it makes it really hard to evaluate Pickett in particular. Again, Trubisky had had a past and and Trubisky in Pittsburgh doesn't look that different from Trubisky in Chicago. But what we saw from Pickett is is really hard to evaluate given the fact that the Steelers have failed to put together a sustainable NFL offense. So I think judgment on that's going to have to wait until there's a new staff there. All right, so let's get into the game in Indianapolis. It started off looking pretty good. Well, there was a three and out and here we go. There's a lot of people cussing, angry, and then the next possession, the Steelers get six. They should have gotten seven. Boswell had a rare miss. Then the next thing you know, it's 13-0 with a Connor Hayward block of a punt, a recovery by DeMonte Kazee. The Steelers get in the end zone again. Next thing you know, it's 13-0. Excuse me, not DeMonte KZ. Excuse me, Killebrew, Miles Killebrew. I jumped the gun there. Then the hit heard around the world or around the NFL, DeMonte KZ. And it feels like the wheels came off right there when KZ made that hit. And you had a concussion of Michael Pittman Jr. The next play, you lose Mika Fitzpatrick after the ejection. And it seemed like the team was not mature enough to go ahead and go from there. 
So let's go through what went wrong at that point. And let's talk about the hit by KZ. Was that an ejectable hit? That, oh man, you're going to get me all riled up here, Brian. Uh, My that, job. That is 100% not an ejectable hit. I understand that it's a penalty in 2023, that we that we now have this thing called a hit on a defenseless receiver, which I don't, I, I don't understand what that means. I don't understand in the context of football what how how a receiver making a play on a ball uh, is allowed to to complete the action without a defender attempting to knock the football away from them. I don't understand what a defender is supposed to do. When it when is that receiver no longer defenseless? Is it when he catches the ball and comes down with it? Do you have to if he's leaping for the ball in the air? And he gets both hands on it. Does he have to like get both of his feet on the ground before you hit him? At what point can you now hit him when he makes a football move? Well, at that point, it's too late. He's now caught the ball and he's running with it. It's an impossible thing to ask defenders to do. And in the instance of Kazee's hit, Pittman is, is, is falling to the ground. So he's low. So if Kazee pulls up, Pittman's probably going to hit Kazee in the lower legs. The worst injury I've ever seen on a football field uh, as a, at, at any level, player, coach, whatever, uh, occurred to one of the players at the high school where I coach, Ocean City High School, on a play not that dissimilar from what happened with Pittman and Kazee when a re- in practice a receiver was diving for a pass and the safety was coming over uh, to close on the throw and he, and he didn't want to go low and hit his teammate, so he pulled up. But as he pulled up, he planted his foot in the ground, and the receiver who was diving for the throw struck him right in the tibia uh, with and compound fracture of his tibia right on the practice field. I mean, it looked like somebody had taken the lower part of his leg and just kind of snapped it in half. Uh, I can still to this day hear the sound that made. It was one of the most sickening sounds I've heard in my life. and. It, you know, it all it all happened because the the, the safety our, our player there was unsure of how he was supposed to proceed in that moment. Didn't want to didn't want, really want to nail his teammate because he's in a position where it's almost impossible for him to not make a hit on Pittman. And then when he does it, he granted he lowers his head, which is, I guess, what what they're, they're looking to, to take out of the game. Understood. You don't want people leading with their head, but he doesn't hit him with his head. He hits Pittman with his shoulder into Pittman's chest. He doesn't strike Pittman in the head. And so I think that, you know, that they, they make that call because it looked ugly while at all at full speed. But when you look at, at what really happened, because he's trying to do the thing that they're asking you to do, which is take your head out of the hit, hit with the shoulder. Don't strike the offensive player in the head or neck area. And he did all of those things. So again, I, the NFL has a huge officiating problem, and it and it emanates from the fact that they have no idea how to call the game anymore. That the rules changes have made it impossible for them to officiate. So, sorry to get on on that rant there, Brian, but I mean it just it it drives me crazy because the the NFL is is creating a worse product for itself. In 1995 that would have sold a million videos on NFL greatest hits. 
Yeah, it would have it would have been on uh, the jacked up segment of, of of ESPN. Remember that one with Yep, you got jacked up. You know that, <laughs> that's no longer politically that's, correct. And then it would have made the 1985 Walk of Life video by Dire Straits. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that one. They had all NFL highlights for some uh, reason. Yeah. A British band. It was it was the craziest thing, but they they knew how to market that song. I guess. Uh, with that being said, is KZ going to be known around the league as a dirty player, or is that just the fans are going to call him that? Because I don't think he is. I don't think he is either. You saw that big hit he made in the first quarter. That was a beautiful hit. Textbook shot. Uh, I was expecting a flag on that one because anytime you see a hard hit like that anymore, you immediately look for the flag. And that's that's a tough way to play the game. I think he's a, I think he's a guy who's – who's a physical player. I don't think he's a dirty player. Uh, I, I, I think he plays the game the right way for the most part. It's, it's just that again, the officiating has made it extremely difficult to be physical at a position that demands it. And so, yeah, with Kazee getting ejected and then Fitzpatrick getting hurt the next play, obviously the Steelers were put in a situation where miles Killebrew was the only healthy safety. And now they had to scramble and and Indianapolis took advantage of it to their credit. I mean, their 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 last three touchdowns were all a product of Pittsburgh being confused on the back end because they were down their starting linebackers and starting safeties. That leads to one of the biggest questions, along with what went wrong on offense, what went wrong on defense, and is this team mature enough to handle? any kind of adversity we're going to ask those questions to kevin smith when we come back here we go it's here we go the steelers show on fans first sports network stick around It is the Fans First Sports Network, Steel Curtain Network. My name is Brian Anthony Davis. His name is Kevin Thatcher Smith, KT Smith, the coach of Ocean City High School in New Jersey, three-time champion there in the Garden State. And if you want to check out the Pittsburgh Steelers, anything about this team, there's always something to talk about. And we're going to talk about it, whether it's good or bad. And we're going to give you the best coverage around here. I hope you had a chance to check out the shows yesterday, whether it be Let's Ride with Jeff Hartman with winners and losers. A whole lot of losers on that list. Hopefully that will turn around. And then you had My Bad Language and then The Hangover with Shannon White and Daniel J. And of course, this show later on, you're going to have another episode of The Fix. Then we are going to have another episode of the Mike Tomlin press conference recap with Dave Schofield as well. So with that being said, it's time to get on with this. Let's find out what happened with the offense, Kevin. And it was impotent, actually. There, there was no 
potency to this team whatsoever. It, it seemed like at the beginning it was going to be fine, but everything fell apart. Yeah. This, they put together that good touchdown drive early on and then obviously got the block punt and put it in. It was 13-0. You felt, you felt pretty good about it. You knew Indianapolis, especially after the, the Steelers lost their safeties, that, that they'd put some points on the board. I, <clears throat> I thought to myself at that point that the Steelers would need to score in the 20s to win. I just felt as though Indianapolis was going to – be able to score a couple of touchdowns with, with the Steelers so depleted in their back seven. And obviously they couldn't do it. And when, and when you, when you look at that, I mean, they, they're up 13, nothing, it ends up 30 to 13. So they get shut out 30 to nothing over the last two and a half quarters or so. Uh, offensively, I think there was a million problems. I mean, I, I'll context it down to three major things. One, not being able to get a push up front stifled the run game. It, it felt like they lost so much of the battle at the line of scrimmage. I think I think the interior of the line was a, a huge problem. Mason Cole is really struggling at center. I think the Steelers are going to really have to look seriously in the offseason at replacing him because his play has become problematic, whether it's the snaps or, in this instance, just not being physical enough. And you've seen, you've seen a good amount of that over the last few weeks. So obviously not being able to get a push limited the run game. Uh, a second major factor was the fact that this offense still has not evolved beyond the Matt Canada scheme. And you knew that they weren't going to be able to recreate themselves. Firing Canada, moving on from him mid season, uh, wasn't, didn't give them enough time to be able to really overhaul the scheme. But I was a little bit surprised, quite honestly, at, at how limited the passing game remains. It still remains uh, an attack that doesn't work the middle of the field, that, that doesn't uh, seem to get its best playmakers in, in good position. The Steelers uh, are, are, have the fourth, fourth worst percentage of plays in the NFL this year that are perfectly covered, according to next-gen stats, meaning meaning that the defense has completely covered all the routes. The Steelers have the fourth worst in the league when it comes to that. So, so obviously they're not getting guys open. And whether they're not getting them open because of the scheme or because of the route running of their receivers, whatever it might be, either way, that's made things difficult. And then finally, the quarterback play has just been bad. I think Mitchell Trubisky uh, threw, may have thrown his last pass as a Steeler on that interception in the fourth quarter, that game was still, they still still had a chance. They were down, they were down two scores. It was 27, 13 with about seven minutes left. Trubisky's got George Pickens coming wide open on a dig route in the middle of the field that at about the Indianapolis 35, he's going to hit him for a first down and, and he'll probably run for a little bit. And you think, Hey man, they might, they might get down score, make it a one score game with about six minutes left. And who knows? But instead, Trubisky, as he, as he often does, throws off this terrible platform. He, ne he doesn't step into the throw. He steps kind of sideways and then slings the ball with his el elbow dropping, and he sails it over Pickens' head, and it's intercepted. And Indianapolis then goes on a long drive and kicks a field goal to salt the game away. And it just – it was it was like kind of Trubisky in a microcosm, man. It just 
the mechanics are so bad that for every good throw that he makes, there's just one of those. And I don't know how he's gotten this far into his NFL career without anybody fixing it. He's, he's so infrequently in a good throwing position, whether he's got pressure in his face or not. It's no wonder that he misses on so many throws. You think like, well, Patrick Mahomes throws off a bad platform. So does Josh Allen. Well, Mitch Trubisky's not Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen. He, his mechanics need to be sound for him to throw accurately. And they were horrible. So again, man, lack of a push from the offensive line, lack of any creativity in the scheme, and lack of competent play from the quarterback doomed them over those last three quarters. Well, here's what I want to ask you, Kevin, because there's something else that I feel like is dooming this team, and it's attitude. I don't think that this team has an emotional maturity to deal with this adversity here. I'm seeing players like Najee Harris, Pat Fryermuth, George Pickens. I'll throw in Deontay Johnson that seem like players that, that should be superstars on this team. Seems like they have all the talent in the world. And it just seems like they are fed up and their effort level is going down. Please tell me I'm wrong here. Because I don't want to be right. No, you're not wrong. They're, they're not superstars. That's the thing, man. People need to stop telling them how good they are because they're not that good. When you watch those guys play, now, I'll walk that back a hair. They, they have the potential to be great. They have great talent. But when you watch them play, Pickens runs bad routes. He quits on things when, when you know, he's, he's unhappy with the way things are going. You probably saw uh, his, his lack of a block on that run that Jalen Warren took down to the one-yard line. And it, the Steelers almost didn't get in. It took him to fourth and goal uh, for Trubisky to sneak it over on their, on their first touchdown there. But that could have been an easier touchdown if George Pickens blocks at the goal line, but he makes no effort to block down the field on a run by Jalen Warren. That could have been a touchdown. Deontay Johnson, for all of the moaning that he does, he drops passes. He, we've seen several examples of him not hustling, not blocking, not seeming really to, to give his best effort. Najee Harris is supposed to be a team captain. I mean, he, it's been three or four times now where he's just refused to address the media after the game. I know these guys are young. I know they're frustrated. I know they feel as though the situation should be better than it is. And that's all, that's understandable. It should, they're not wrong, but the way that they're choosing to now handle that is, is, uh, is wrong as well. I mean, the, the fact that they're not playing as hard as they can on every snap is a disservice to their own ability. It's a disservice to them. And again, I don't know who anybody who's watching George Pickens right now and says, Hey, I want that guy on my team. Uh, they're they're taking a chance because you, the chance that you're taking is that he's going to give you a great effort all the time. I, I watched the San Francisco 49ers, man, and I know I know that they're the, the best team in the NFL right now, and it might be hard to compare the Steelers to the 49ers. The 49ers have a world of talent. They got a great coaching staff. It's a different situation. But, but you watch them play, they have complete buy-in. Their, their game last week in Seattle – started with a toss sweep play to Christian McCaffrey that McCaffrey took 70 some yards down to the four yard line. And he, he should have been tackled around the 20, but he picked up an extra 15 yards or so at the end because Brandon Ayuk 
wide receiver, sprinted, sprinted 60 yards down the field to make an extra block that was that allowed McCaffrey to pick up those final 15 yards before he got caught from behind. That's the difference right now. Well, one of the differences, but the difference in terms of, of effort and attitude between a team like Pittsburgh and a team like San Francisco. So it's sad to say, Brian, but you're you're right. Well, with that, I just feel like even Pat Fryermuth, I, I feel like uh Fryermuth is not giving that complete effort either. And he seems like that blue collar guy that is always giving that effort. And it just doesn't seem like it's happening. So my question is, are they quitting? It kind of looks like I yeah, I don't know what's inside somebody's heart or somebody's head. And I and I can never say I know for sure, but the impression that that they're giving you is that their frustrations have boiled over to a point where it's affecting their effort. And that's a huge problem. And it just the 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 inability to handle adversity more professionally and 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 to you know kind of head it off in the right way is disappointing to say the least and and that disappointment extends beyond the players i mean obviously you feel as though the coaching staff should have a better handle on this and, and they don't for the first time in mike tomlin's tenure it feels as though the locker room is in question that maybe the buy-in doesn't exist as it should you're an educator you're a coach and I asked Jeff Hartman this question as an educator and a coach as well. And you have some classes that are just problem classes. Now, Jeff said, when I say class, I'm talking like the class of 2029 or, or what have you. And I know this isn't a situation where these guys are going to graduate and uh, a new class is going to come in. I'm, I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is, is this just a group that the teacher can't handle no matter how good that teacher is? Interesting. When when you can talk about class as a whole or you can talk about class sort of in the smaller scale, like an individual class. And it's very interesting when you're when you're teaching, when you're in the classroom and you have 24 kids sitting in front of you, you may have you may have 22 great kids, but two kids with bad attitudes who who want to be the center of attention and disrupt things or uh, who are who are you know disgruntled and decide that they want to take the class off track, et cetera, can ruin the entire experience for everybody else if not managed properly. So so there do seem to be some players who are drawing attention to themselves with poor effort and poor attitude. And that's poisoning the well for everybody else. I mean, it, it's it's possible that the that the situation isn't as bad as it seems, but that some of the high profile players who play high profile positions are attracting attention in the wrong way with their attitude. And so again, I don't know what the, the locker room's like as a whole. I'm sure that the veterans in there that like Minka Fitzpatrick and and TJ Watt and Cam Hayward and those guys, I'm sure that on a daily basis they're they're there trying to get guys right, you know, trying to get everybody's attitudes right. Unfortunately, they're also all defensive players. It doesn't feel as though that there's a veteran leader on the offensive side of the ball who can command the respect that Fitzpatrick, Watt, and Hayward can on the defensive side of the ball. The offense needs an alpha, and they need a guy, 
uh, who's who's willing to hold other guys accountable. And in the absence of Ben Roethlisberger, and if we go back, the absence of guys like Heinz Ward, Heath Miller, those types of personalities. Pouncey. Pouncey, right? They they don't have those guys. They're, they're young. They're in transition. Most of the guys on the offense have only been in Pittsburgh for a, a year or two, three years maybe at, at max. And the co- they, you know they qu- the coaching staff has obviously come into question. They don't trust the coaches on that side of the ball, and therefore they're, 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 they've lost their identity. But more more than that, they've lost their ability to self correct. They've lost their ability to get back on track, and and that's really worrisome. You know, I I really respect that. So the question now is: Was Ben Roethlisberger right with his comments? About the Steelers' culture, maybe that thing's gone. Um, I, I, you know, I, I don't know. Again, I'm not in the locker room. You're not in the locker room. We, we don't know what's happening on on a a day to day basis there, and we don't know when these frustrations manifest. Are they really all the product of game day when things aren't going the way the Steelers wanted to, and uh, and now you know it bubbles over, or is this kind of something that's happened on on a daily basis? For me to say the culture is gone means that it's not being enforced on a daily basis that Mike Tomlin when nobody nobody's around to see on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday is is letting it erode it's that he's not holding guys accountable in practice or in the film room or that he's not enforcing the message that made the Steelers renowned for their culture uh, I don't know what the truth is as far as that goes but if it's a if it's a, a Sunday thing only, I think that's fixable. I think that sometimes that's a product of frustration because of the failure of the moment. But if it's a day to day thing, if it if if on Wednesdays the Steelers are guys are coming in late and and not giving a great effort at practice and not doing the film work that they should be doing and and not taking the extra reps that they should be taking, then maybe Roethlisberger is right. Now the defense is a mess right now, but that's for a different reason. Or are there problems there, Kevin? I just think that's a different animal altogether. You look at at uh, where they're struggling most on defense, and obviously they've been exploited in the middle of the field the last few weeks. In the, this three-game losing streak of theirs, they've given up five touchdown passes to running backs and tight ends. A sixth one which they gave up to Indianapolis on Saturday that went to a wide receiver, came on a crossing route, a mesh route, where the Steelers just completely miscommunicated. Uh, they, you know, they, they had on – a, on a mesh route, you're sending receivers that are going to cross one another in the middle of the field. So the receiver lined up on the right is crossing to the left, and the receiver lined up on the left is crossing to the right. And a defense has to know how they're handling that. Yeah, are, they, are they switching? Are they staying in man? And on the touchdown pass to Indianapolis, or that Indianapolis threw, uh, they they ran mesh, and the receiver crossing from the left to the right, DJ Montgomery, came wide open, uh, caught the ball, ran it in for a touchdown. When you watch the film, Joey Porter Jr., who lines up over Montgomery, as Montgomery starts to cross the field, Joey Porter Jr. lets him go and switches off to pick, pick up the crosser from the other side. But then Chandon Sullivan, the opposite corner, he runs with the crossing route. So now you got two guys on the on the cross going from right to left and nobody on the cross going from left to right. 
that's a product of, again, I think just having guys on the field who aren't used to being on the field. Why was Chandon Sullivan in at corner? Because they had to kick Patrick Peterson back to safety because they lost their three safeties. You know, they, they didn't have any other safeties on the to be able to play at that position. So I just think the injuries have really taken a toll. Uh, and teams have figured out how to exploit them. And sadly, and I, God, it's so hard to say this, but when you watch the film, you see it. Cam Hayward is coming to the end of his phenomenal run. He's not the player he was. Uh, he just, you know, he's, he's getting knocked around a little bit more than, than he has in the past. And he can't really anchor in and make those splash plays like he used to. And, and that hurts as well. So just an awful lot uh, that, that the defense has had to handle. So they could not stop the run either. And I, I think that's, uh, you were alluding to that with Cam as well. Um, is that just the whole middle linebacker situation, the inside linebacker situation, losing those two guys being Cole Holcomb and Quan Alexander and just and not getting any step up from Mark Robinson whatsoever when you have more Michael Walker in there. And Michael Walker's done an admirable job. Landon Roberts is probably uh, playing at a Pro Bowl level right now as well um, with as many tackles that he gets week in and week out. But is it just a situation now that they're so depleted that there's just no turning back? It re- I mean, at the at the linebacker and safety level, yes, it's they're they're playing guys who have never played together before. There's lots of communication issues, but unfortunately, up front, uh, they're getting knocked off the ball. Man, Montrevious Adams, he he was getting knocked off the ball Saturday to the point where he was impeding the path of the linebackers. I mean, there were times where he got driven four or five yards off the football so that the backers didn't have a direct path to the running back. They had to navigate around Adams as he was kind of on skates getting pushed into their lap. So that's a problem too. I I would like to see more Keanu Benton. Uh, I, you know, he's really now starting to obviously take more, more reps, but he's clearly the better player right now. And I guess they feel they have to manage his workload. So, uh, they they they're still repping Adams in there, but Adams just got manhandled against Indy. And you know Hayward's not not the player he was. Ogan Joby I thought was better last year than he's been this year. So when you combine the fact that the linebackers are depleted with the fact that the defensive line may not be as good as everybody thought they would be, that's a problem. And so again, whether it's coverage or the run game, they're they're just up against it defensively. One guy that I thought was going to just be a a player that was going to just break out, and it doesn't seem like he has right now. It's Demarvin Leal. Am I missing something, or is he missing? No, you're not. He's missing. I I just think he's. I don't. I just think they don't know what to do with him. He's that tweener where he's just not big and physical enough to play the one technique and anchor, you know, two gaps or. Uh, if they want him to be a penetrator in there, he, he's just not strong enough to be able to to beat the center and guard. Uh, but I don't know if he's quick enough to play off the edge. Or so I, I just I don't know if they have that role for him defined. And maybe you know, maybe it is. Maybe they're just like, hey, look, uh, Ogan Joby and Hayward are just better. He fits outside 
better. He fits as the five tech better. And so maybe, maybe when Hayward moves on, he'll be the guy. Uh, and they just aren't comfortable with, with taking reps away from Hayward and Ogunjobi to give those reps to Leal just yet. But you're right. He, I think we all felt like we're going to see more from him this year. All right. The major question here is the fact that the Pittsburgh Steelers right now, as what we're seeing and the, uh, the games on Sunday night, you know, no joke. We, you know, we'll break down that fourth wall. You know, we're recording this on Sunday evening and the uh, game between Baltimore and Jacksonville, no matter what happens is not going to affect it as the Pittsburgh Steelers right now are the ninth seed. They, so they have a ways to go to get back in this whole thing. And for them to be able to do that, they're going to have to win some games. Is there any possible way the last three games, the Steelers can start winning? Uh, I mean, to quote, uh, to quote Jim Carrey from Dumb and Dumber, you know, so you're telling me there's a chance. I mean, there's always a chance, but, and, and again, and, and you can talk yourself into it because they get the Bengals next week. The Bengals are are as beat up as the Steelers are. They go out to Seattle uh, in week sixteen. Seattle's been reeling. They're kind of they're a the mess. Road. Yeah, and then and then they come home for for or I'm sorry, they they go to Baltimore the final week, and that game might not mean anything to the Ravens. So it's possible that the Steelers could get a win over Cincinnati use a little bit of momentum from that win, carry it out to Seattle and then go to Baltimore for the finale with the Ravens sitting a bunch of starters and, and win all three. But honestly, the scenario I think that's far more likely right now is that they lose all three. I, I don't know right now. And again, it, it brings me no joy to say this as a, as a Steeler fan for over 40 years, I'm, I'm as uh, as loyal as it gets. I don't ever, take any joy in, in talking about the Steelers being bad. But if you, if I don't know if there's, if there's a team in the NFL right now who you would say that you feel really confident that the Steelers could beat, given their current lineup, all the, in, all the injuries on defense and the really just sort of woeful state of the offense. I mean, it looks like, it looks like Mason Rudolph's going to start at quarterback next week. So now you're on, now you're on your third quarterback who you're trying to figure out, well, what can he do? I mean, they're they're into week 16 of the season and they're still trying to figure out what the heck can they do on the offensive side of the ball. And on the defensive side of the ball, they're trying to figure out who can they do it with. Uh, and, and that's just not a good recipe for winning football games. And let me correct myself. Uh, they are the 10th seed, not the ninth seed. The, uh, the teams on the bubble ahead of them are Buffalo, Cincinnati. Those are the, the two teams ahead of them. And Pittsburgh at 7-7, seven, seven, they are ahead of the Denver Broncos. But really, that doesn't matter. They have to start winning. One last thing that I want to ask you before we get on out of here. Was Mitch Trubisky ceremonially fired when he was pulled? Was he cut from the team? Even though he's not, he will be there for the remainder of the year. But was he basically cut? It felt like that. That felt like a, uh, all right, we've seen enough. And I don't think, when when the Steelers pulled Trubisky last season at halftime of that Jets game in week four, they said, we needed a spark. 
and which which meant like we let's put the rookie in and see how he does. But that didn't didn't necessarily mean we're never going back to Trubisky. I think I think what it meant at the time was let's see if Pickett's ready. And and I think that they felt like they could be okay on offense with him last year. And and so they left him in. This feels like they're done with Trubisky. This feels like that interception. And when you break it down on film, it's worse. It's worse than it looked. I mean, it looked bad in person. You're like, oh, God, he had Pickens wide open and he overthrew him. And and now the safety picked it off. But when you look at why why he missed him with a clean pocket and just horrendous mechanics, he, and to miss the throw that badly was, uh, to me, the final straw. So I will be very surprised if we see Mitch Trubisky throw another pass for the Pittsburgh Steelers. All right, I'm going to ask you one more question. It's a bonus question, and it's with thinking about Mitch Trubisky and thinking about the number that he wears on his chest, number 10. Is that the most disappointing number in Pittsburgh Steelers history? No, come on, man. Number 10? That's got two great memories for me. One, Santonio Holmes, the greatest catch in in Super Bowl history. I mean, maybe not literally, but certainly on, on the short list. And two, Roy Jarilla, number 10, who was thrown to the ground by Cliff Harris. Oh, Roy was- Jarilla was terrible. But Roy Jarrilla sparked my Steelers fandom. Okay, I, I, I get that. You know, so, I mean, for me personally, I just, you know, Jack, Jack Lambert slams Cliff Harris to the turf, and I'm a lifelong Steelers fan. Roy and- Jarilla. Rogerilla kicks that that field goal that right down the middle. I might never be a Steelers fan. Now, number 10, Santonio Holmes gave us great memories. But the reason I bring that up as disappointing are these guy, these are guys, when I think of number 10s, I was all it seemed like we used to do Tony Defio and I used to do a lot of retro shows. And it seemed like, man, if Jarella made 50% of his kicks. That was that was a good day. <laughs> they all stunk back then. All those kickers stunk. Oh, they were they... all they were all like short, fat guys who like had just <laughs> just like put out their cigarette butt before they ran onto the onto the field, L- like in the replacements. Barred. Exactly, man. <laughs> they were all like that guy, you know, back in the day. They he made, didn't even like, put his cigarette out. <laughs> yeah, man. They, I think they I think they're on hourly wage. They made like three twenty five an hour. You know? <laughs> but you know, when you think of number ten, I. I think of guys like Santonio San who left in acrimony, having to be traded because of attitude and problems. Um, Cordell, who, uh, you know, left angry and uh, all the disappointment. Um, having to get rid of, having to trade a guy like Martavis Bryant because of all of his problems. It just seems like number 10, no matter who wears it, you're just you're just not getting that long-term glory that you hoped they, they give you, they give you so much hope. You think they're going to be great. And there's so much going on with number 10. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think number 14 is the one that gets me, but we won't, we won't go there. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I guess we can't. Um, that's, that's a whole nother show. Um, and, and that's a Jersey boy there too. <laughs> yeah, well, I usually don't hate on the Jersey boys, but I'll make a special, uh, special uh, exemption for him. All right, we we can get we're gonna have to get into that uh, an entire Neil O'Donnell show in the off season because I'm a lot more sympathetic towards him than most people, and I know that's one of the things that uh, people hate about me. <laughs> but with that being said, there's no dude of the week, so. It's we're not we're not giving them giving a dude of the week until 
this team wins again. We've had three straight dudeless weeks. That's depressing. Yeah, I I know. I it, we just I just can't do it. I mean, I really can't. I I think if they lose next week, my dude of the week is gonna be Santa Claus. He's a good dude. Yeah, that that is a good dude. So uh, there you go. Santa Claus is the dude of the week until <laughs> until further notice. Until until this team wins a game. Until we get the gift of a Steelers win. And that's really what I want. So hopefully they'll get a chance to win next week. Right before Christmas, that'll be a that'll be a really nice Christmas gift to win at home. And it just doesn't seem like anybody in the NFC, excuse me, AFC North wants to lose right now, except for the Steelers. So uh they've uh they gotta start being a little more a little less selfless and uh start demanding that they win and not let those guys uh, uh not absorb all the losses for the rest of the division. So with that being said, Kevin Smith, Brian Anthony Davis, we are a part of Steel Curtain Network. Make sure you continue to check us out. Check out Steel Curtain Network for all of your Pittsburgh Steelers needs. Make sure you check out Kevin Smith with the fantastic stuff he does on our YouTube channel. Um, film breakdowns, uh, shorts, just fantastic stuff. I mean, uh, it is an absolute clinic. I, In fact, I'm just going to start calling him, instead of coach, I'm going to call him clinic from now on. Um, that is his name going forward because, man, this guy does it all and makes you take notice. And I learn stuff. And I've been a fan for a long time. And I learn every time I sit here with headphones looking at him through the screen. I cannot wait to uh, share a beverage, a frosty beverage with this man and be a, get a chance to shake his hand and hug him. So thank you, everything, Kevin Smith, you do for Steel Curtain Network. Also, Fans First Sports Network, check out the call sheet as well. With that being said, Kevin, any last words? No, man, I appreciate the praise. I, like I always say, you're my, you're a great hype man. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's all genuine. It's uh, the thing about hype men; they'll they'll say it whether it's not. Um, yeah. Me, I'm I'm saying it like it is. Give make me co-sell. I'm going to tell it like it is when it comes to Kevin Smith. Well, thank you, and and let's just hope for the sake of everybody listening that next week's show is a little more positive in its tone. All right, we're going to start. We're going to end with some positive music. Get on out of here. Uh, 4KT, I'm BAD, and we got to say this. Keep your feet on the grounds. Keep reaching for those hypocycloids. <laughs> <laughs>